Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Roman Sharp. Roman, you are the founder and CEO of LuxuryBazaar.com, uh, a website that's doing pretty good business, and you've got an amazing story. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. So you are actually originally from the Soviet Union, and I could say Soviet Union, right? Because what's, what's the timeline of, of your emigration? 1988, uh, probably about four years before the Soviet Union broke apart as we see it today. Wow. And so you traveled to where and what, what happened at that point? Well, we left as refugees, basically ran away from the Soviet regime, went to Austria. We spent almost a month in Austria with my family, then went on to Italy, spent a couple of months there until finally landing in Brooklyn, New York. My goodness. And so then, uh, by the way, so you joined the U.S. Army then. Is uh, that about right? five years later, yes. I was 13. Yeah, right. We're not a 13-year-old. We have some. <laughs> we want to get these kids through school. But uh, yeah. Um, so what, what was your decision to join the military? I, um, I love this country. Uh, this country took me in uh, as a refugee. Uh, it gave me a roof over my head. It gave me an opportunity first and foremost. And uh, by joining the U.S. military, I, also, I felt it was if it was my duty. It is something that I felt would do good for me as an individual in terms of personal growth, in terms of discipline. And last but not least, I believe the United States of America is the greatest country in the world. And I was willing to pick up a gun and go fight for it should it be needed, I guess. Yeah. What did you do? What was your MOS? I was a scout, uh, 19 Delta Cav Scout, which today I believe is called a forward observer. I was the guy that kind of dumped off in the woods somewhere and... Uh, I had to tell the rest of the guys behind me that, uh, oh, come over. It's all fine and clear. And wow. My life expectancy, they said, was about 35 seconds if battle ever started. Oh, my gosh. A and that's a, You know, it's like so much pressure as well to make sure. I mean, if you are calling back and saying you're given the all clear and you mess up, that's a lot to the most put on we your shoulders. In, we were taught how to call in artillery. And that's, you know, if I saw an enemy out in the clear, I would be able okay. to call Atelier from five to 10 clicks away from where I'm at and just try to make sure the pressure wasn't given the correct coordinates because if you're off by a degree, that would bomb you. So yeah, that was where the pressure came in for the most part. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, so I, I was in the Navy for five years. And as of when we're recording this, we just had the Army-Navy game. So sorry. <laughs> Thanks. I, I kind of figured you'd go there. I, I knew you were a Navy man. So uh I figured you'd go there, but that's okay. We'll leave that one alone. You had a great run. Three years for the Army. It's really fantastic. We did. We did. <laughs> yep. Um, well, great. So now, Roman, what I'd really love to talk about now, beyond, so after your military experience, uh, you're working in corporate America. You actually worked for Deutsche Bank. And, and tell me what happened there. Uh, I was, that was a highlight of my career. I, I uh, got into the banking industry first with Fleet Bank, which no longer exists. I got mm-hmm. bought over by, I don't know how many banks at this point. Uh, there I supported our global and local payment systems and uh, a system that processes about $40 billion of 
a month in transactions, which talk about pressure. If that system <laughs> were ever to go down because I was in the IT end, uh, the board of directors got called within 15 minutes. So the pressure was there to keep those systems running. And unfortunately, it came at a time where there was a lot of uh, conversion in the IT world where everybody was going from client server to web technologies. And it was a five-year project that I came in at the first, probably the first year when it started. And it was my job to keep a system that was always semi-broken going. And that's where a lot of pressure came in in that respect. But uh, it was a great career. It gave me a lot of experience to use in my own business, as I say. And then at some point when the economy went down, this was post 9-11. I was in New York for 9-11. We had offices in World Trade Center 4, as well as across the street. Uh, and post that, the economy, we know what happened with the economy. And uh, one day I saw every other person on my floor have to get up and leave because the bank was letting go 10% of their employees to the tune of 15,000 people. When I saw my managing director, who at the time had probably 20 plus years with the bank, had to get up and leave. And two years later, fast forward, he was still looking for a job. Made my decision easy in regards to going on and working for myself because it was at that time where I started doing what I do today part time. So that was sort of what happened at Deutsche Bank. But it certainly gave me a big push in regards to experience, in regards to how to run a company, how to run a team and things of that nature. Yeah. You would think Deutsche Bank... uh, and working in IT. I mean, these are two indicators that would generally communicate stability. Like you're in a great field, in a great industry. I mean, it's an industry that could be a little bit volatile for sure, but still, I mean, in terms of like, you know, following career advice, kind of doing all the right stuff. I, I'll tell you one thing in that regard. Uh, I had an opportunity before leaving to go even further. It is very unfortunate that I made a name for myself post 9-11 as I did a few things to help the bank out without getting into much details in regards to software that I wrote that was temporary software that allowed the system to continue rolling. But uh, I said to myself, yes, I made a lot of connects within the company. I can certainly move further. I can certainly see myself becoming a director probably at the age of 30. Uh, which would be a great feat. But I said that that's not what I want to do because when the bank let go so many people, I quickly realized that that was a simple decision. I never blamed the bank. I didn't want to be that managing director 15 years down the line to have to get out in the workforce and have to prove myself elsewhere to start from scratch. And that's why I decided to go and work for myself. And so uh, was there any question as to what that business would be or how did you eventually settle in on what you've now created? Because I have, a, I have an engineering and IT background and e-commerce technologies were booming at the time. I got lucky in respect that at the time I had to make that decision, my business has already been running for uh, almost three years part-time. And when I saw the income levels that that was bringing versus what I was bringing in at the bank, I quickly realized that I am safe in terms of income because at the time I was newly married, I just had a kid, I just bought a new house. It was a bit of a turmoil. Uh, at the time, and a big decision at that, financially anyway. Uh, but as I said, uh, I was lucky to have that business already running part-time, so it made my decision that much easier. And as far as watches and jewelry, I was always a watch nut. So for me to get into this industry and to be able to actually sell what I love or do what I love, I realized that I won't work a day in my life, as they say. Yeah. So how does someone start a business like Luxury Bazaar? Uh to be without uh, giving up any too many company secrets, I always tell uh, my uh, audience on YouTube specifically, they ask me that question all the time. If you want to start a business in selling watches or jewelry, anything that or high-end goods, start with trade shows. 
because any business develops based on relationships. Unless you have the relationships, where in my business it's pretty simple. It's where to buy and where to sell, or who to sell to, or who to buy from, mm-hmm. right? So what better way to start those type of relations by getting out into the field, as they say, get your uh, foot into the door by going to a trade show. You want to sell watches? Go to a watch trade show. You want to sell jewelry? Go to a jewelry trade show. Google jewelry trade shows. Watch trade shows. There's plenty of them out there. Get out there and meet people. And information is key. And that information is gathering things like pricing, particular vendors, what they're good at, uh, what the merchants is all about. Because once you get your hands on the wholesale end of things, retail sort of flows along with it. Yeah. Are there any myths that you see that you hear frequently about the high-end watch industry or jewelry industry, or maybe stuff you see in movies and TV and you're like, man, it is not like some of, some of the show, some of the shows that you see are actually certainly not uh, what actually takes place in the watch industry because entertainment is designed to do what entertainment is designed to do. Yeah. And that is to create drama. Number one, in today's day and age of reality TV, what do people want? They want drama, right? Yeah. They want somebody to lose a hundred thousand dollar watch. They want somebody to overpay a half a million for something else. They need drama and the numbers are exaggerated. Uh, uh, the watches, the stuff that you see on TV today, uh, if a number is thrown out of a hundred grand on a watch, odds are that's a $50,000 watch. And it's done for entertainment purposes. Yeah. I will tell you one thing that people think is a myth in my industry. My industry till this day is still based on a handshake. Uh, if you uh, took a camera and followed me up and down 47th Street, which is the Diamond District in New York City, which I'm sure people are familiar with, I will literally walk from Fifth Avenue to Sixth Avenue, stop by about 20 stores. And by the time I'm done, I'll have about $20 million in my bag worth of watches and I will not sign a single piece of paper. And that is not a myth because this business is based on reputation. Wow. It's, based on, it's based on who you know, and it's based on trust. It's all based on handshakes. And that is actually not a myth. People, when I tell people the story, they think I'm either lying or I'm crazy, but it's actually the truth. So there is a movie coming out with Adam Sandler that I think. Oh, yeah, I saw that preview. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he's got, uh, you know, again, by the time this comes out, we'll see. But, you know, he's got some. Uh, there's a lot of Oscar buzz about uncut gems. And uh, so we'll, we'll see, but uh, again, I would imagine, you know, there's going to be a lot of dramatization. <laughs> there will be a lot of dramatization. There's based on a, a preview that I saw on YouTube. Uh, there were already a couple of parts that I saw. I'm like, come on. I've been, <laughs> I've been on 40, I, I'm not physically on 47th street, but I'm also in a wholesale business. So 80% of my business is wholesale. So I sell to a lot of guys that are on 47th street and I'm fairly certain I'm going to laugh along some of the parts that are going to be in that movie. And I'm sure that some parts will be true. So when you started Luxury Bazaar, how would you describe the the online retail or e-com world for high-end jewelry and watches? I'm going to use one word. I'm going to call it Klondike. You have to remember at the time my website launched and eBay launched, you can literally throw anything on eBay at that point. And my eBay, uh, my my business started with eBay originally for the first two and a half years, and then I built a website. It was Klondike. It was because it was a numbers game. If you look at a platform like eBay, that got 200 billion clicks a day, and it was only me and maybe 10 of the guys that said, you know what, I'm going to put $10,000 watches on eBay, and everybody and their mother said, you're nuts. Who the hell is going to buy these expensive watches online? We fast forward to today. People are buying houses and cars and all kinds of expensive goods online today, and it seems yeah. to be the norm. But back then... I spend 90% of my time trying to convince my client that I'm not a fraud and that they'll actually get a 10000 item in the mail should they send me a check or a wire. So it was Klondike. And then slowly but surely, as competition built up, it became less and less of a Klondike. And it, 
economics 101 tell you you have regular profit and irregular profit, right? You make your regular profit when you're new, when there's no competition. And that's what happened for the first couple of years that sort of allowed me to give the boost to become the company I am today. How do you get in front of your ideal client? So someone like myself, I, you know, I've, I've never owned high-end jewelry or watches. Um, I, I'm not opposed to it. I've just not really been in that world. Um, but yet, I do pretty well in business. So there's like, there's a subset, there's a certain avatar that you're after. And, and what do you know about that avatar um, that, that allows you to get in front of them? It's actually in reverse. If you, if you can follow me here, it's not about it's not about getting in front of a specific client. It's getting yourself in front of an a, an audience, and it's sort of the same, goes back to the same thing I said in the wholesale end of things, where it becomes a handshake thing, a trust thing. And with us, it's a question of putting yourself out there for X amount of years, and this is the biggest plus that we have because we've been around for seventeen plus years at this point. And once you put yourself out there with your website, being on Every single platform that exists out there, we sell across probably 14 different platforms. Most of them do carry our name. And once you stay in your client's space often enough, and this yeah. is more of a marketing technique, and you show yourself as a trusted individual, much like you do in a wholesale business, that client will then come to you. Of mm-hmm. course, in today's day and age, uh, it's about the three C's. Um, a smart man once said that uh, today and age, you have to have the three C's, which is creative content consistently. Any idea who said that? No, I did. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, so the three C's creative content today translates into video. It's creates into the fact that I opened up a YouTube, YouTube channel a year yeah. ago to get in front of my clients to make them feel warm and fuzzy inside. The fact that we did an office tour to show people, hey, this is where your product is coming from. These are real people. These are my shipping guys. This is my QA guys. This is my sales team and so on and so forth. And consistently is the fact that that content has to be out there day in and day out via social media. And the media today is indeed social media. So your Instagrams, your Facebook, your YouTube channels, that's everything that sort of builds on top of the trust of being around for 70 years and physically showing to people, hey, this is who we are. This is who you're buying from. And at the end of the day, selling yourself. Roman, um, many people when, let's say they're a jeweler uh, and they say, well, I'm going to get out on the YouTube. And so what they do is they start producing videos where they're doing nothing but just like selling merchandise and there's no personality behind it. There's no story behind it. There's no humanity behind it. There's no authenticity. It's just like every video is a sales pitch. And, and I don't know that. I don't think that's really what audiences are after. I mean, unless they're legitimately like shopping and they really like they're right in that transactional. There's two things. There's two, you took a different Uh, approach. There's two things. Uh, when my, my CMO approached me uh, last year and said, you got to get on YouTube and you got to start talking about these watches because you're a walking encyclopedia, you know, everything there is to know about watches. I told him this, the following. I said, I will do this. I was hesitant and really due to time constraints because this takes away about five to six hours a week of my time and I still have a company to run. So I told him, I'm going to, number one, tell it like it is. Number two, I will not be selling anything on my YouTube. I'm simply going to talk to people about the product, show them the product from a perspective of someone that's knowledgeable without pitching it. And at the same token, giving them knowledge on things like the market, what the market pricing should be, what the value is behind the product that they're saying. Is this an investment or not? Which is a common misconception in my business because they're not investments, they're expensive toys, right? Right. So 
this is what I decided to do and it has worked for me. Uh, I, I do have my own channel, the Luxury Bazaar channel. The only thing we do there is we do a product video. And this is for someone that simply wants to get a closer look at a product. It shows the product, it's a 20 second video, and it tells you all the things that you need to know about this product. That's one approach without really selling it, without putting a big on sale price, click here and buy now. Yeah. For my YouTube channel, I conversate with my audience. I conversate with my followers. I, I consider them one big family. And by doing it that way, by being authentic and telling people how it is, makes me stand out from the next guy. And you also won't see a lot of clickbait videos. If I did a Rolex video every single week, week in, week out, I'd get the most amount of clicks. I'd get the most amount of likes. But that's not what I do. I show people everything and anything, whether it's a million dollar watch or a $200 watch. I don't differentiate. It's just a question of putting forth the information as genuine as possible. And the reason it comes out that way, honestly, is because I don't pre-record or practice anything. My Q&A sessions, I read them off and answer off the top of my head. Watches that I show on my desk, the show is called What's on My Desk, which means the watches that come across my desk, I literally turn on the camera and I just start talking. What is the typical customer journey for someone who ends up purchasing a high-end uh, piece from you? Uh, for the most part, uh, I have clients that are uh, that will come back and purchase over and over and over again. When it wow. comes to a large purchase like a watch, where an average ticket price is fifteen thousand uh, dollars, once people get warm and get that warm and fuzzy feeling from you, they'll continue coming back to you. And the reason for that because they know what they're going to get. You know how you back the product. I have a seven day no questions return policy on items that you can buy up to a million dollars. Not a whole lot of guys do that. And at the same token, it's about getting especially when it comes to pre-owned watches, people have a lot of issues and say, well, what if it's broken? What if it's this? What if it's that? By us warranting everything, by us standing behind our product, even though it's not our fault, we don't make these watches, right? We just sell them. But if something were to go wrong, I still stand behind it. And it's a question of loyalty. Uh, I would rather have a customer come back uh, 20 times over to buy a product from me than gain 20 new customers over time and none of them haven't, haven't come back to me. That's expensive <laughs> to get yes. that many new customers. <laughs> yes. uh, so in terms of operation then, what does it take to fulfill that, the kind of volume that you're doing and the, you know, the level of client care? I, I don't know if, um, you know, if someone's purchasing, say, a $65,000 watch, it, it, is that just something that you go ahead and send that through the mail or how does that work? It actually, believe it or not, it does get sent through the mail. We ship up to 1,500 boxes a day out of here. I have a huge shipping department. I have a, I have a QA department. I have a receiving department, uh, returns, and I have people dedicated to do all those wonderful tasks. But at the end of the day, it ends up being a FedEx package that goes out overnight. Obviously, I'm not going to get into what my insurance costs are year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> expense uh, list. It's uh, my insurance expenses are in hundreds of thousands a year, yeah. and but that ensures that that package does get delivered. And if and God forbid something happens to it, uh, I am number one covered, and the customer feels comfortable. And yeah. plus, video cameras. Uh, the minute a package gets packed up um, downstairs in the shipping department, there's a video of it coming out of my bank vault onto the shipping table, wrapped up, and out to the FedEx truck. So if anybody out there decides to claim, oh, they shipped me a brick in a box, not that it has ever happened, but mm -hmm. uh, I certainly have video to back me up as well. So Roman, you do a lot of your behind the scenes on your YouTube channel, and I should point out, so what you want to do is, uh, for the person who's listening to us, just go on YouTube and search Roman Scharf, and that's R-O-M-A-N, and then Scharf is S-H-A-R-F. Did I get that right? Yes, thank you. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so you share a lot of like a day in the life. I mean, which I think is just so fascinating. And people fall in love with this. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, that's why you have built up a, it's such a huge following is it's, you know, you've designed your own reality show uh, that, that people really build this relationship with you. They end up becoming your biggest evangelists. Uh, and then sell yourself. If you, if you can sell yourself, you can sell anything, as they say. But the channel is, again, it's, it's as you said, it's a glimpse in a life outside of my regular watch-related geeky stuff where I show watches or I answer questions in regards to uh, uh, anything and everything that has to do with my watch and jewelry business. At the same token, I decided to give everybody a glimpse into my personal life. And it, it took a while because you're putting yourself out there raw and uncut. So when I'm celebrating, when I celebrated my buddy's 40th birthday party where we were in uh, Mexico, and I downed about 40 shots of tequila a day and I put all that on camera. Uh, you know, you put yourself out there. Hey, this is who yeah. I am. I'm not the guy who's going to pretend to be uh, anybody who I am not. I wear a white T-shirt on my videos. I don't wear a suit and a tie, nor do I use white gloves when I look at my watches and I handle them. And uh, because that's not who I am. Uh, yeah. And by showing my myself, my wife, my family, my family life, as well as my friends and everything else that comes in between, along with sneak peeks into these trade shows. Not a whole lot of guys have access to look at a Hong Kong trade show, which I attend three times a year and display on. Not a lot of guys get access to look at $5 million watches at the, uh, watches at the same time. And this is what I try to show a sneak peek of. And again, keep it in mind that this is not a reality show, as you said, that's often also scripted, right. but this is the reality. And right. That's what I try to do. And, and, and audiences can sense that. Audiences, you, you can't fool them for very long. Well, Roman, uh, you're doing a fantastic job. You have a huge following. You have a, a very, very successful business. You're doing good business. And again, you're the founder and CEO of Luxury Bazaar. And that's B-A-Z. A-A-R. <laughs> For yeah. those who have never been to a bazaar, <laughs> that's how it's spelled. And of course, on YouTube, uh, you can find Roman. And again, that's just Roman Sharf, and that's S-H-A-R-F. Roman, thank you so much for joining us. Josh, I appreciate for you taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, we'll get to it. Perhaps I'll sell you a watch one of these days. Very good. Let's plan on it. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence each month. We scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans, totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 
15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.